Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 271 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into our conversation after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. 
Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Over the past few years, you probably found yourself online viewing and reacting to bite-sized pieces of mental health information. The difficult part of navigating the interwebs is deciphering information from misinformation, especially as it relates to our mental health. At times, in an attempt to better understand ourselves and the world we live in, we digest and share pieces of information that we don't fully understand or properly reflect our experiences. Take, for example, the terms trauma bonding, gaslighting, and narcissism, all terms that you've probably heard before and maybe even used in your everyday life. But are you using them correctly? Joining me today for another one of our group chat conversations are my friends and colleagues, Dr. Ayana Abrams and Dr. Joy Beckwith, both psychologists in Atlanta. In our conversation, we break down the definition of key terms we've noticed people using and misusing online, how and why that language was shared incorrectly, and we share suggestions on how to be mindful around information online. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Or join us over in the sister circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. So the group chat has assembled once again, and I'm excited to chat with y'all about some of the terms that it feels like have been used very widely, I think mostly on social media, that are often, it feels like being either misused or used incorrectly altogether. And so I know that you have also seen these memes and people sharing all this stuff. And so I just wanted to get your take on some of these terms that that I think people should just be really careful about. So the one that comes to mind first is trauma bonding. Mm. So (laughs) look at the collective sigh from both of you. Mm. (laughs) So how are you all mostly seeing this used? And what do we want to clarify for people about what trauma bonding is? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm mostly seeing it used by therapists on Instagram. Therapists and like therapy coaches, on Instagram, which I think comes up in a lot of ways. I think what has happened largely is that therapists have started, I'm included, right? This way of trying to offer psychological education in bite-sized mm-hmm. formats through images or IG stories or carousels. So I think we have been introducing psychological language to the community. And because they're not in therapy, you're going to have a space to like really kind of hone in on stuff. A lot of people have run with those things. In a lot of ways, I think it's our fault. I think we did this. I think we created this. (laughs) And, well, let me not completely blame. I think the mental health system, if we talk about kind of systemically, right, the reason we are doing this is because we know that most people don't have access to mental health care and we are trying to offer, right, some free way for people to get some access to something more than what they have. But I think Mm -hmm. it's turned into now its own industry of that kind of psychological education. And that was one of the first ones that we began talking about, I think, because a lot of therapists work with clients who are navigating or kind of dealing with trauma or kind of, you know, consequences of traumatic situations. And then you pair it with a lot of people needing relationship help. We've got this trauma bond. I don't know the difference between misinformation and disinformation, but that. 
No, I agree, Dr. A. I think we did it. And I think, you know, for for all the reasons that perhaps were intended to be good reasons, like how can we start talking about these relationships that perhaps are unhealthy in a way that is a little bit casual? It's like, oh, okay, so perhaps this is what's going on. And we made it a term where you can kind of latch on and, you know, has the trauma there. So it's like, okay, this is trauma related and, oh, the connection, it's a bond that you have. So I think we, like, we did it in terms of making it where we're raising, I guess, like public awareness about kind of the dynamics of these relationships. But there's some pros and cons to speaking of it in this way. And as we see, then everybody's trauma bonding. So we're not really talking about what exactly is it. So before you know, it's like, oh, I went to the grocery store and that's what happened. I was trauma bonding with the cashier. No, you were not. You know, so now we're using this term and really not talking about exactly what is it and what are the potential dangers involved when we trauma bond. So I think it came out with one intention and then it grew wings and it's, yeah, taken over, taken mm-hmm. over. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I think the traditional definition of trauma bonding is much more like a Stockholm syndrome correct like it is more like you have been through a traumatic experience and then you in some ways empathize with your Mm -hmm. perpetrator Mm -hmm. right and so but what it feels like it's commonly used is you know like oh I have a traumatic experience and then I share my traumatic experience with somebody and they had a traumatic experience and so we then bonded over our trauma Mm -hmm. which is not the same thing I mean and it sounds very like it would make sense right like oh We bonded over trauma, mm-hmm. but that's not actually trauma bonding. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to necessarily bond over your trauma. So it feels like now we have trauma bonding circles and it's like, oh, we've all experienced like this trauma and we're bonding over that. And it's like, well, although it's helpful for us to talk about the trauma that we've been through, it's like, we also don't want to, you know, ruminating doesn't help and kind of staying there does not do anything for who I'm talking to about my trauma. So yeah, so it's gone away from the original definition and then your trauma, my trauma, we've experienced it, but where's the help? You know, what are we doing now instead of like, okay, I've experienced this. And then we go online and we're making reels and TikTok videos about the trauma that we've all experienced as a result of whatever. So it's just not helpful if we, you know, continue letting it be used loosely like this. Mm-hmm. And I think largely people still do not understand what trauma is. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of blurriness between right things that people experience as trauma versus things that are unpleasant. Things that, you know, people that people remember from the past that were unpleasant experiences. And that is also still very different from a traumatic experience. And I think, again, because all of that gets lost, right, because of how we are mm-hmm. learning about this in these sound bites and in these Instagram clips, you're not working with somebody who can really help you understand and discern that because you remember something unpleasant that happened doesn't mean that that was a traumatic experience. Because something happened that you didn't like or was unexpected or that was painful for a while also doesn't mean that that was traumatic for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that even the, the conversation around trauma and trauma bonding also really dilutes what people can understand or accept about like the human experience, that there are things that will happen that are not okay, that you didn't want, that you didn't like. But that doesn't always mean that you have been traumatized in some way and that you are a trauma survivor or right, or that, that you now have this new identity because things didn't happen in a certain way or that you were hurt or that things harmed you. Harmful things also don't equate to trauma. It's a whole, it's a fuller experience. And I think that if you are not working with someone professionally or kind of have more kind of a sensibility around that, then... Yes, your narrative would be that everything has been 
trauma for you. And I think that, again, social media, unfortunately, can help promote that same theme or theory. We see a lot of these posts that say all the different things are trauma. You've been traumatized if this, or this is a trauma response. That's the other one that kind of comes oh with. Oh my gosh, things. yes. This, yes, like, yes, yes. not liking apples is a trauma response, right? It's oh a- or des- desiring to eat all of your food on your plate and having difficulty throwing it away or walking away from it is a trauma Ooh. response. Because yes. Maybe as a child, you didn't have food, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. Everything is a trauma response. All of that goes together. It's the same way in which we have really diluted what trauma is, which I think also then serves to, to be harmful to people who have had traumatic experiences because now people are having a harder time naming that. They're feeling more confused around that. They're feeling invalidated by like, mm-hmm. well, if that's trauma, what is this? What was my yeah. experience yeah. of it? Yeah, that's what you're talking about. It minimizes the seriousness of trauma. You know, that you can experience things that are unpleasant, that are negative, and it not necessarily mean that I have PTSD as a result mm-hmm. of that. And so, yeah, you're right. We have someone else who endured something where harm or death or the idea of serious death, you know, was actually real. And they have nightmares. They have these memories. They have severe anxiety. They're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so you're listening to someone say that this experience at the grocery store was, you know, traumatic for them or they have PTSD as a result. And you're looking at your thing and it's like, oh my gosh, what is happening with me? And I think that's what people are bonding over. They have these experiences and it's like, why do I behave this way? And why do I act this way? And it's not necessarily trauma. It's like, oh, we've had this shared experience. It does not mean I have PTSD from my childhood or from my relationship. And we need to talk about that in that way. But if you are you know, having nightmares, if you are having severe anxiety, if you are unable to kind of function as a result of kind of what's happened to you, that's a different thing. And it requires a different intervention. But I think it's all gotten lost. So whereas the public awareness is there, it's like awareness of what? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it does feel like there is a growing conversation and I know you have all heard it about it, you know, big T trauma versus little T trauma. Right. And so it, it feels like there is space. And I think rightfully so for us to like expand our understanding of all the things that could be trauma. Right. I think for a long time we thought only war and like, you know, seeing somebody shot were mm-hmm. traumatic experiences. So of right. course, now we understand that there are tons of other things that can be traumatic. How do we help people differentiate what is considered trauma? Like what are the guidelines around what we can define as trauma versus something that may have been unpleasant, but may not necessarily fall within the realms of trauma? I think like when in doubt, I go back to what it is that we know, like, you know, our DSM, for example, is like, I really do want to go back to how do we define something that is like, you know, traumatic, like what are, so I can validate your experience and the effects of your experience without necessarily saying you need to be labeled as having trauma or labeled as having PTSD and sometimes helping you to understand like, hey, this is what happened. So do you have clarity? Is it PTSD or is it necessarily traumatic? Like that was a horrible experience, a very unfortunate, unfair experience, but really going back to, okay, what are the results of that experience? And so that they can see clearly, okay, everything isn't traumatic, but I do have increased anxiety. I am having nightmares. I am detached or I am kind of dissociating or detaching from experiences. I do feel numb. So really going through with them so that it's not discrediting your experience or saying that's traumatic and that's not traumatic, but saying, hey, here's how we define trauma. 
And let's look at it and having them to help me with, okay, is this what your experience is? And so you tell me if this is considered very traumatic for you based on this criterion definition. So there's no bias in there. So they get to step outside of the experience a little bit themselves and see, okay, you know what? This was severe. This was very impactful. There's some residual stuff. And so they can decide what is traumatic and what is not traumatic. So I love standards. I love some procedures there. Mm -hmm. I love something that is common language that is research-based. And so when they do experience something traumatically, hopefully not, it's like, okay, now that's what this is. And so also I don't like people to walk away and it's like, hey, I have trauma from my past relationship. And so now you've labeled yourself as this person with significant trauma. Well, no, you were greatly heartbroken. You even perhaps were depressed as a result of your last relationship. But I don't want you to give yourself labels and terms that are not founded or grounded in any research that don't have any basis. So I always go back to how do we define it and having them to help us with, is this your experience? That is the crux, right, of what gets missed in social media exchanges or interactions. There's not room for kind of that deeper process and not even having kind of the language, right, or the criteria to be able to kind of, in a deeper way, kind of process or kind of explore where anybody might fall, right, on any of that spectrum. And I think what also gets missed, the conversation that I'm able to have with clients, you know, trauma does come up is one, we are also continuing to assess for safety. So I'll talk to clients a lot about ways in which I tend to differentiate how I'm hearing their narratives and how they're experiencing their bodies is that something happens, either they have an experience, they witness something, they hear something, the vicarious trauma that changes their sense of safety in the world. And then we're still also looking at these criteria because if that sense of safety is changed, then you might be feeling more anxious. You might be feeling more depressed. You might be feeling more numb, right? So kind of pairing that with has something shifted in terms of how safe you feel in this world, in this dynamic, in this area, in this relationship, in whatever it might be. And that is a way in which I can help kind of bridge the gap, right, between the criteria and the subjective experience of this, right? Which is why I recognize that on the flip side of that, I know we also say like, you can't tell somebody they weren't traumatized by something, right? Because it's about their subjective experience of this thing. But what I'm always looking for and assessing is safety. Did something shift where now the way in which you experience your sense of safety and security in this scenario, like environment, has that been inevitably shifted after this thing happened? Historically, like you were saying, Dr. Joy, that you were only allowed to name trauma as it related to war, a car accident, specific kinds of violence, right? That people haven't historically thought about community violence or, you know, systemic violence as traumatic, right? They don't see poverty as violence when I do see poverty as violence. So also being able to expand those things, right? But really talking to people about how safe they feel given these different factors. And that helps me lean into whether or not they might feel traumatized by this. And that also doesn't mean that we're using that language. If we do discern right, that this was a traumatic experience. I always lead with what the client might name because a lot of my clients don't want to name trauma. I wasn't traumatized. They don't want that label. It also seems like a lot of people want this label these days. Like people like want to have a story of difficulty. They want to have a story of trauma. I think a lot of people are beginning to see some kind of like social value. Those are things that I'm noticing on social media where it's just like, it's like, I want to be traumatized. I, you don't really want to be traumatized, but like you think you do because maybe now you are seeing on social media that that's the way in which people are connecting. So I'm noticing that actually with the young, like I'm probably millennial, me and under, um, are, they are seeking these ways, right? To be like, I have this, I have this, 
that horrible thing happened to me. I've never been the same. So like, let's connect. I'm actually seeing a shift in people rejecting a narrative of, of having been harmed or kind of having trauma to, I do, I do, I do. Me too. Me too. So I think that's also an interesting like phenomenon that we're now seeing shift. You're so right. It's like there's this badge of honor. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the, despite the fact that I have been traumatized, I am still like in school. You know, these things, it's like mm-hmm. this badge of honor. Like I endured trauma. I endured this or my childhood was traumatic. What does it do? Does it validate the reason, you know, that I'm I'm a little delayed in this, this and this because mm-hmm. I've had to overcome a whole lot because of this trauma. You know, I've still been able to achieve this despite this, you know, this trauma. So yeah, I've been seeing it where it's a thing where everything is like, this is traumatic or we bonded because of this trauma and look at what we've been able to attain because of this trauma. And I think along the same lines in this trauma, and I know this is probably about to be like, oh my gosh, it's like everything is triggering, you know? So that's another word. Mm-hmm. Triggered. It's like, oh, you know what? The store was closed. Ooh, I feel triggered, you know? So, you know, and there are real triggers when we talk about trauma, things, sight, sounds, smells, all of those things that remind us of a traumatic event. So triggers are really real, but also it's become such a common term. Yeah. I feel triggered because of this, this, and that. So it's, it's all of that. So not only is it a badge of honor, seemingly in the social world where, oh, you've experienced trauma and you've been able to triumph over it, or you have something that's in common. There's a sense of belonging with other people who have endured trauma. It's this thing of like, oh, I feel triggered. This thing triggers me. So another word. So y'all have said a whole lot that I feel like I'm trying to like figure out because I agree with you in that I am also seeing that, especially I think with younger people, right? And Mm -hmm. I wonder what it is about. And of course, we are psychologists, right? So I think that's our natural inclination. Like, what's the story here? Like, what's Mm -hmm. happening? But it does, in a lot of ways, feel like people are just very excited to finally have language to be able to describe what's happening, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, I don't necessarily pathologize it. I don't think that's what what y'all are saying either, but it does feel like people finally have language to describe like this awful thing happened to me, or I realize now that everybody's experience wasn't like that. And so now I have a name to call it. To your earlier point, Dr. A, around like we as therapists kind of did this, Mm. right? I want to kind of take a step back and kind of figure out, is there a way to maybe in some ways course correct? Mm-hmm. Or, or is it is it a problem? I mean, because it, it does very much feel like, yes, like I think that that is a lot of our goal, right, is to be able to give people something, right? Like we do understand how broken the mental health system is. We want to try to make things more accessible. But I think there has to be a limit, right? Yeah. And so when you just see a carousel, you know, mm-hmm. you can't go too far with like talking to any one person in a comment section about like what their personal experience of something has been. And so it feels really hard to know, like, okay, is there a way to do this that is like helping people or are we actually doing more harm by like giving this information without a actual contained way to help somebody fully explore what's happening with them? I don't know if this answers it completely, Dr. Joy, but I think you make a really good point. I think that's probably where we struggle because we see the cons or the dangers, the potential dangers in, you know, kind of letting these terms be free flowing out in the world. 
but the good side of it is kind of what we've always wanted. I think we're saying that it's using some of these terms raises the awareness that a person can have these various experiences and it can look a different way. I think we want to feel that we are not alone in our experiences. So now we're talking about things that we have experienced. We're talking about our traumas. We're talking about our childhood. So it's letting us know that, you know, you're not alone. This is more common than not. So that's the benefit and the beauty of that these words are causing conversation. So I think it also changes the narrative when we talk about kind of the shame that's attached to mental illness Mm -hmm. and that can be attached. I think that it changes the narrative where when we think a person has been, say, let's say traumatized, or they may have, and I'm going to use air quotes here, high functioning depression or whatever, it changes. I know, don't roll your eyes at me. I know, but it changes the narrative. Oh, you guys are giving me those sharp (laughs) eyes. Let me look down. Changes the narrative of how we have seen these things in the past. And so, you know, we think about what has perhaps trauma looked like when someone has experienced something really, really like seriously traumatic or what has depression looked like. And we've been afraid to necessarily claim or own our experiences because we're afraid of like, oh, if you say this person's depressed or they've been through something traumatic, it looks this one way. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about it. So it allows us to see that, you know what, it doesn't look this one way. You don't have to be ashamed if you've experienced depression or something that's really, really traumatic. So yes, that's the pros. And we're like, yes, finally, we're having these conversations. But then we're like, whoa, 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 you know, reeling it in some. And so maybe an answer is to allow the convert, you know, as much as we can, because we don't have all power, but, you know, to see these conversations and for us not to water that when they're being used incorrectly. So being able to say, I do understand what you're talking about. These reoccurring thoughts, you know, are definitely a sign of PTSD. So being able to validate what is real and in the sense of how we define it, or yes, being in bed for days and still going to work, that is definitely how depression can look. So how we don't kind of join into the party when we realize that it's going in the wrong direction. So I don't have to, you know, wave a flag and say, stop it, stop talking that way. That's wrong. No, I love the conversation. I love that we're honest, open and talking about it, but making sure that we are honoring the work, the research, we're honoring what we know to be true. So just as we started it, you know, it's out there now. What are you doing and being honest with yourself? Like, you know, am I doing reels talking about trauma bonding and am I doing it the wrong way? Our health is not for likes and for like reposting to go viral. We don't want to, at the expense of those things, compromise like the health because it's a real deal. I absolutely agree. I think that in general, therapists in some of these social spaces and having these conversations and the conversations happening are doing more good than they are doing harm. I think there are Mm -hmm. spaces that are much better at this than other spaces, right? In terms of what they are sharing and how they are sharing and how they are are nuancing it. But I also recognize that given that this is happening through certain media, it's limited. So I think that what's also happening is that we're really getting caught up in, this needs to happen in 30 seconds. I need you to explain this really, really heavy, nuanced, layered, subjective, personal thing in 60 seconds, in a reel, in a carousel, in a hill, on Twitter, when you only have 100, I'm not on Twitter, 140, no, it's 280 characters, whatever it is, right? That with us trying to use that particular forum to get this information out in this mass way, we've conformed, we've changed the information, we've shifted what we can even say to try to make sure that people get it. But again, people can only get but so much. So I think we've also lost the 
art of the subjective language in that because of how we're trying to make it through. We can have hours of conversations with clients. We can't do that on social media. I mean, some people are, I'm sure, but like we can't do that on social media. So it turns into you've got this many characters. People don't read captions, right? It turns into all this stuff where it's like, I got to get it here. And then you add to how social media has also kind of changed how a lot of the mental health industry is also kind of accessing clients and business and all this stuff that people want to go viral. So you want to get the thing. You want to say the thing. And if you say that this is trauma bonding and you know that trauma bonding is a big thing, you're going to get more likes and follows and shares and all that stuff in terms of whatever that can turn into for you. I think the larger problem is this intersection that we're seeing at the mental health industry, lack of mental health care, lack of enough mental health professionals, increased need. And then we've got social media as this quick way to try to help people. And it's very, very limited. It's really, really limited to to the knowledge that we have. And it's really limited to the care that is needed. But if that is our funnel, then we go based on that. And I think that is largely why and how the harm is happening in this way. I also recognize that because mental health and or mental illness has become in some ways a bit more trendy for industries and for a number of industries to kind of jump on and say that they're responding to and really valuing. People can also take advantage of the increased popularity of it and are not there to really offer care. They're there to make money. Um, So I think that's a whole other piece of this, but us talking about the intersection of technology and the certain forums that we're doing this on to be able to spread more awareness creates this kind of bottleneck, right? So people are dancing to things. People are doing different things to try to kind of get people to the information, but we don't really know what people are getting from this. They're laughing at, and that's this, but it's it's really incongruent oftentimes with the content that we are sharing and trying to kind of share really heavy things. So I really don't know how it's landing with people. Mm-hmm. So more from my group chat conversation after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. 
Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in-store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again, and happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. So just to make sure so that no one comes for our girl, I think what you just said back today is you, because, you know, in the very beginning, you started off by saying like, hey, we did this to ourselves," And, you know, because we know better. I think what you're saying, it's very possible that we unintentionally in our quest to increase awareness and because of the lack of, you know, 
there's a greater need and demand than actual resources at this moment. You're saying in our trying to get all of this information out in 30 seconds and to make it where this is a really important topic. And I want to make sure that, you know, our audiences get this information that we have very likely compromised unintentionally the information that we put out. Yeah. This is why this is the group chat. I mean, like, listen, what is we doing here? But I also, I also with that, I also think it, it is ethically our responsibility to take responsibility for how we are sharing information and what we are mm-hmm. saying and what we are not saying. And for us to kind of do our own internal work around what is the motivation and what is the goal for this? That is our own like self of therapist work that again, people out there have no clue that those are things that we are supposed to be doing and navigating ethically. So I think it's also on us to to take that responsibility for what we are sharing, how we are sharing it, and really being clear about what the motivation is. And if we're not doing that self-awareness work, this is why these things will also continue to happen. Absolutely. It becomes what is driving. It's like, okay, you want to get your followers or your likes, Mm -hmm. or you want to go viral, or you want to get more clients or whatever this is. You want to be on this panel. It's like, we have to be self-aware to know, like at this point you are compromising or to put this out in 30 seconds is doing more harm than it is good. And so being aware, again, we cannot compromise what we're ethically sworn to do and give and provide. And the care that people entrust with us. We have just to keep that at the forefront because otherwise you're doing these reels and it may seem fun and there's more visibility, but you're right. Once it's out there, we have no control over how it's being interpreted or where they decide to post that information. And although we want to increase awareness and put it out there, there's a responsibility, a person, you know, especially when it becomes you or Dr. Such and Such. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, the Dr. Such and Such said that this is trauma bonding. And now I'm going back and I'm telling my family because of this, Ooh. this, and this. And so it goes back to what we were saying earlier to be mindful of, am I watering this or am I adding gasoline onto this fire? Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you have to be engaged in this conversation, how are we going to be engaged in this conversation? So it's like, oh, that's cute. And I don't have to take it personal that you decided to use that word. It's not mm-hmm. personal. It's like, I love that we're having a conversation conversation about this, but let me, you know, my little, whatever 50 characters are going to tell the truth, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So another term that comes up quite often is gaslighting. So gaslighting, and I have also seen a new spin on the term self-gaslighting, which I was not aware of. So this is another term related to an old movie right around this man and wife or husband and wife. I mean, he was like turning off the gas or turning on. I can't remember to like Mm -hmm. make her think that like the lights were on when they really weren't or something like that. Right. But to kind of make her feel like she couldn't trust her own. Hmm? It was like the heat. She was feeling, it was like the gas and he was turning it off, off and on. So she would be cold and need a blanket and. Right. So making her feel like she could not trust her own experiences, right? Like she couldn't trust her own knowledge. And that is, I think, a hallmark sign of narcissistic personality disorder, right? Which it is often tied closely to, you know, so again, it feels like this is one of those terms that has escaped the confines of where it started. And now anything that is dishonest, Or anybody who is not being completely truthful, like, oh, they were gaslighting me. Mm -hmm. And so I want to hear from you both, like, what are some of the dangers of, again, this kind of a term not necessarily being used correctly? 
And do we define like what it really is? Like, hey, it is psychological manipulation, right? Where the abuser is like sowing the self-doubt and intentionally trying to cause confusion in the victim's mind. So this is what it is. That could be a lie or you're trying to play mind games or you're trying to trick me, but it does not necessarily mean that I have been like gaslit or you are gaslighting me. Mm -hmm. And I think you named it. It's the piece about it being intentional. So where I hear Mm -hmm. it, get really murky for a lot of people is that when somebody is disagreeing with you, that they are gaslighting you. If somebody just isn't in the same kind of space with you, doesn't maybe believe what you have said, there's an argument about it. They don't see things the same way that you see things. Now, what has come out of that is that you are gaslighting me, right? Because you do not believe that I have had this experience. And I think that Again, it has to be noted that this is about intentional manipulation where somebody is denying your experience of something and they're trying to also make you question your lived experience. It is not them not understanding you. Mm-hmm. It is not them not agreeing with you. Right? <laughs> it is not them arguing with you. It is not them not believing that something happened. It's them trying to, by different words, by different kind of words, different actions, get you to not believe yourself so that you would more than likely become more dependent on them. Right. Because in you being confused, you would be more vulnerable. And in your vulnerability, mm-hmm. you would gravitate back towards them. So it is a power play. Right. But people disagreeing with you mostly is not because they're trying to get power over you or confuse you, they are literally having a different experience of the same thing. And I think that is really difficult for people to discern when they feel activated, right? Mm -hmm. When they want to feel understood, when they want to feel cared for, when they want to feel seen and somebody doesn't, it's really dysregulating for some people. And now we've got this term to be able to add to it. And again, in thinking about the ways in which these days we are very short on language. So that fits it. Well, okay, you're denying my experience. You must be gaslighting me. Versus Mm -hmm. there's many other options of what is happening here. And I think that we are removing the different options and the nuances of what really happens in relationships. Yes, absolutely. And I love it, Dr. A, you're saying, hey, just because I don't agree with you, or perhaps I don't understand your perspective or your experience, or I don't quite believe it happened that way. I think that if we automatically latch on that this is gaslighting, then you've said it like you're gaslighting me. It's like a cascade. Like now you're going down this path and it becomes all of these other things that are attached with a person who legitimately gaslights. And so I think it reduces our opportunity for like a resolution. If I believe that you don't understand me, or if I believe that, okay, you know what? I see you disagree. Let's have some conversation about it. If I'm looking at it from those lens, then we can kind of have a resolution. This thing does not have to become bigger. But once I've said that you are gaslighting me, I'm activated. You're gaslighting me. I'm going hard now. And this thing that started out as something significant, but not as big has now turned into something big. And often what I've seen in doing couples work, it's a term that, okay, maybe the one person is familiar with it and another person is not as familiar with it. So then what do we go do? You said, I'm gaslighting you, gaslighting you. So then the other person goes to look it up and there's nowhere to go but down from there. When you start to look up what it says, the true definition of gaslighting, that I'm this horrible, horrible person. And now why are you with me if I'm so horrible? And I'm, you know, you're saying I'm manipulating. So instead of being able to discuss, you know, what are the behaviors that 
that you're seeing that you're not happy with compassion or empathy, or let's work on communicating your feelings. It just does not give us the opportunity to be able to deal with what perhaps is the core issue we're experiencing here. Cause we've already attached this label to it of you are gaslighting me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do feel like this is the perfect segue into discussing narcissism, right? Which is gaslighting's first cousin, right? You know, because I do think, you know, like we talked about earlier, people want to understand their relationships, right? Like we want to understand Mm -hmm. ourselves and we want to understand like who we are in relationship and we want to understand our partners. And so I think this has become one of those, again, topics where it feels like, oh, this person does this, this, and this, they are narcissists. Right. Mm -hmm. When really we know that very few people actually meet the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. Right. And so kind of, again, throwing around this term that this person is a narcissist, like you mentioned, Dr. Joy. Okay, now that you've labeled them as this, like, is there any way for resolution? Is there any opportunity for discussion or for us to get on the same page if you've now labeled this other person as a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens? Like once you label something like, oh, it's a beautiful day outside, then you see the beauty in it. If it's a bad day, then you see the bad things in the day. So once you label a person as, oh my gosh, like you're a narcissist. And guess what? Now I'm starting to pick out all the things that, you know, I feel a narcissist does. Like, look at you, you know, you're calling me, you expect me to answer. <laughs> you couldn't wait for me to call back. And, you know, it's like, what is happening here? Because you made up in your mind that this person is narcissistic mm-hmm. or, you know, you're wanting me to help you. It's like, mm, I don't know if that's a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And so it just leads us down this path of where there's just not seem to be a good end. And again, we can't resolve or it's difficult to resolve because I've automatically attached this definition to you. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, it's the problem of the lack of nuance, right? That there's a difference between someone exhibiting narcissistic traits, which research shows many of us have narcissistic traits. It can actually be really useful for us to have some narcissistic <laughs> traits, depending on how we're using them to kind of move through different scenarios or stay motivated or, you know, boost our self-esteem. There's a difference between having narcissistic traits and having narcissistic personality disorder. All right. But people put that all together and just say that you are a narcissist. Right. So now we have this kind of identity right, that is formed with this person and that misses all of the nuances and all of the criteria that we as mental health professionals know you need to meet pretty significant criteria for a certain amount of time in order to be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And I, I also recognize that what the research shows or kind of what people think is that, you know, more men are narcissists, right? So the, we've also got this like gender conversation and dynamic around it. And because people don't understand the statistics like we do, that it's actually pretty rare, right? It seems really common, but it's it's actually fairly rare in terms of general population. But there were maybe 85% of the women in this chat that said that they were dating a narcissist or had dated a narcissist. And in my mind, what I said to myself was, Unless y'all have all been with the same three people, that is statistically not possible, right? It is statistically not it. Absolutely, you were in relationships where you did not feel loved, you did not feel cared for, you did not feel understood, you did not feel met. Somebody said something that was harsh to you or mean or harmful, but all those things also don't equate to narcissism because there's so many more criteria that again the general population does not understand and for a reason there's a reason why there are a certain number of people who have studied this for years understand this in a certain way and that's why it's not kind of this widespread thing where we are just naming everybody as narcissists but again sound bites instagram carousels reels tiktok stuff right the four signs you're dating a narcissist 
there's more criteria than these four signs, right? Right. You trust what you're seeing online. You're trusting kind of where this information is coming from. So you take that information as truth. Even if we can put all the disclaimers and all that kind of stuff, right? You take that information as truth, you apply it to your life, and you're probably going to come across 17 people who you would diagnose, right? With narcissistic personality disorder. And that's not that. People get to be jerks and not kind and not nice and not love you and not, mm-hmm. and they're not narcissists, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Dr. A. Yeah, they get to be selfish. You get to choose yourself over someone else and it's not because you are narcissistic. And I think one of the downsides of doing that, sometimes it's so so that it explains the end of a relationship or why something did not work. You know, so it becomes a, oh, well, it didn't work with this person because this person was a narcissist. Or, you know, this is my family because my parent was a narcissist. And I think that if you put it automatically on there, then it can decrease your desire to work on what happened in that relationship. Because now it's been this other person's fault. So it's not necessarily a you thing. It's like, okay, because he was this way, he was this way, he was this way. And the last two were this way. But I think when you are able to label the behaviors that didn't serve you in the relationship, then you can really kind of look at yourself and say, you know, how did I find myself in this relationship? What were the things? So maybe the fact that this person was so confident or the the fact that they had these self-care days, you know, was appealing in the very beginning of the relationship until you got in it. And it's like, oh, okay, we haven't gone out and but you're going on the self-care day so now it seems like you're so selfish you want what you want and you know you have these um where boundaries are healthy but in the context of this when i've labeled you as a narcissist then this boundary becomes a problem so i think that sometimes we do that and we put it on the other person in terms of their narcissism in a way to not sit with ourselves and to say okay you know how did i find myself in this type of relationship if the last three men you've dated have been narcissists then you know to take a look at self and say what's going on here why am i attracting what is appealing to me about these certain characteristics and so i think it's easy to say oh that's what it is girl yeah that makes sense because you know i'm dope i'm awesome i'm wonderful mm-hmm. so it was the fact that x y and z so it's so much danger in automatically labeling it there so like you said you can have characteristics of it and not actually have the disorder Because we know how difficult it is to reach that criteria. And if all of the women in this group all dated narcissists, then we need to figure out where they are because that's a great research study. You know how hard it is to find them. So, (laughs) yeah. More from my group chat conversation after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. 
It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again, and happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. 
So what y'all are talking about, you know, in terms of labeling, it does feel like there's some kind of like armchair diagnosing going on, right? Just like, you know, the Monday morning quarterbacks, like it definitely feels like there are some armchair diagnosing of like, oh, I see all of this stuff and this meets the criteria that I saw on this Instagram post. So you now have narcissistic mm-hmm. personality disorder. But in addition to people, I feel like doing some of that diagnosing of others, it also feels like there's a lot of self-diagnosing. Mm-hmm. And y'all have kind of talked about that some, but I do want to hear your thoughts on the increase I think that we are seeing in terms of people looking at something yeah. that they see on social or of a video that they see on YouTube and then diagnosing themselves and what are the dangers there. But also why is it happening, right? I think for a lot of the reasons we talked about in terms of the system, but I do think we have to be careful. I think people have to be careful in terms of diagnosing. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think we have seen an increase just with the adjunct to the increase in this information being available online, right? So not only related mm-hmm. to mental health, but we see, you know, the WebMD rabbit hole, right? Or the Healthline rabbit hole, right? That you can find anything. And again, I think it, it goes back to a limited understanding or kind of acceptance of the human experience, right? And that not everything is going to be pleasant all the time. I think we got lost a long time ago with this like, you know, happiness goal and us believing that happiness is the standard and that you should always feel like that and positive psychology. I think that has kind of created this setup where if anything feels awry, it must be a problem. And then because our brains literally, right, needs to solve problems and kind of figure out what's going and kind of assess for threat, we've now got all this information at our fingertips and in point zero 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 five seconds we can find the five diagnoses of why I don't think that he likes cats and he should. Like whatever the thing might be, right? So I think it's heavily related to our inability to, as a society, our inability or kind of lack of understanding around tolerating distress so that when distress is present, it's really dysregulating for us. And then we want to get rid of it. So we go to find what are the ways to get rid of it? Who knows about this thing that I might be experiencing? And then that kind of sends us down whichever rabbit hole about these things. And I also recognize that being able to access a lot of this information online is another opportunity for like self-advocacy because I recognize the limits of healthcare, And oftentimes when we go into different spaces, particularly for Black women, where we're going in and talking about what's going on with our bodies, we get denied. We get rejected. We get dismissed. Somebody tells us that our pain is not this. So I recognize that there is a part of this threshold that feels really important for us to access information so that we can take better care of ourselves in a system that historically has not done the best. But it's that fine line of that and wanting to use this information and be able to use the healthcare system to say, hey, I think it might be this. I'm noticing this about myself. I'm the expert on me. You're the expert on this. Can we put that information together? Versus going into the office saying, I've got these three diagnoses. My daddy did it. This is the this. This is what you need to do. And that is all I will accept. I think it's having some flexibility and some agility around how we're using that information. So You're exactly right. I think it goes back to sitting with the human experience. And I think what we've had the opportunity to do, whether we ask for it or not, as we seek to understand the human experience, we are seeking to understand our own personal experience. Why do we experience life this way? So what is it with me? 
And so as we're sitting in the house trying to understand ourselves, what do we do? We look for information because we're problem solvers. And so where do we look for information? In the palm of our hand. And so there's this social media where all of this information is like, oh, I'm looking for dislike cats. You can look and, you know, let's see who has used the hashtag dislike cats. And you know what? If it's your lucky day, it's attached to some type of disorder. And so you're seeking some type of understanding and some type of clarity. So we get it in that in terms of why is it happening? And we are experiencing, of course, more distress. The downside of that is as we seek to have clarity, as we seek for, if we seek information, as we seek understanding, we run the risk of mislabeling ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you basically said, based on what you found out here, whether it's WebMD, whether it's social media in these reels, okay, now I have this. And so what's, as you're saying, Dr. A, you want to be able to advocate for yourself, but what happens with a mislabel, misdiagnosis, and then our treatment is definitely impacted. So, you know, you feel that if you don't go to a doctor and sometimes if you do, but if you don't, it's like, oh, now I have this or I have trauma. So now you're doing these other tools and techniques that you have said that because I have trauma, now I'm doing these things that I've read about online because I'm treating my trauma. And so are we really healing the wound? Are we really making it better or are we making it worse? Because we are now doing and engaging in things interventions that are not even targeted at what this thing is rooted in. So that's the downside of it. So I do get it. Well, we want to be able to advocate for ourselves. We want to be able to educate ourselves. So if we need to tell our provider this information, we can. But if we're getting not so good information, we've attached this not so true label to ourselves, then we are engaging in interventions and behaviors that are not necessarily doing what we are wanting and expecting to do. And that's the unfortunate part. Mm -hmm. So I think that we seek to know, we seek to understand, but there is that fine line. Yeah. Any given day, I got 14 diagnoses in the DSM. Any given day. (laughs) Absolutely. Wasn't that everybody's experience when we first took our abnormal psych class? Like, oh, I definitely meet criteria for this. Yeah. Sometimes all at the same time. It's like, oh, I got all of these. Yeah. Yeah. And I think human behavior is just so fascinating and so interesting. Of course, we want to know about ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part that like the general public maybe doesn't always see that, like even as people who are trained, that was a part of our experience. But you continue your training and then you realize like, no, you don't actually meet criteria for all of this. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you are just now introduced to all of these, like, oh, I can check this list off, but there is no additional training or understanding or nuance Mm -hmm. to go with it. Then you just kind of stop there as opposed to like continuing to learn more about why it's not appropriate and why you don't actually need criteria for these things. Right. And you think about the relief when we said, oh, I have all of these things and the relief once you studied more and learned more, it's like, okay, I don't. And it's like, okay, good. You know, because if I feel like I got all these things and then it's like, I feel like my life is like jacked up now. So then, Mm -hmm. you know, there are these limits because I walk around carrying all of these things. I think what perhaps happens out in the world is that you now feel like, okay, I have all of these things and on one hand, it's like, okay, now I understand. Okay, good. So now I understand why I am this way or why I feel this way. But once that one thing turns into 12, then how do you operate now? Now you feel that I am perhaps damaged or there's some limits to me. And it's like, well, it may not even be true. And so now you're figuring you can't do this or you can't marry, you can't go to school, you can't whatever because of these things. And it's like, you said that. No one else said that. You said that. And you said that because of a reel. 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That got reposted. And so just really being mindful of that. Yeah. So I think that that is, you know, where I would like us to kind of wrap up is if you could both offer some 
suggestions or advice around like how people can be mindful around the information that they find online? Like what kinds of things should they be paying attention to and how do they make use of that carefully? I love what Dr. A said when you said you are the expert on you. And I think that we start there. I think that, you know, your experience is your experience and is a valid experience. And so if there's something that we're seeing online, it's like, wow, that feels very familiar to me. Or I think that offers some insight into how I've been feeling. It is okay if that basically resonates with you, but knowing that these are not credible spaces necessarily and knowing where am I getting my information from. All of our experiences are different. So just because you experience it too, you are now not the expert or this person is not the expert on that particular thing because they had the experience. And so I'm okay, whatever comes up for you or whatever resonates with you, but then saying, okay, where can I go to meet with a licensed provider, someone who's trained at, hey, and you can take your experience into the room. This is what I experienced. Mm -hmm. And I actually saw something on social media that talked about this. And this is what I experienced that was similar in that particular post. And being able to work through that because you really do want to have understanding. You really do want to get better. You really do want to target whatever it is that's perhaps causing you discomfort or the struggles that you're having when it comes to the experience of life. So I think being mindful of the source where we're getting the information from and then being mindful of where we go to for help and where we go to for treatment. So the experience is valid. Your feelings are valid. But then what do we do now as a result of all of that? Yeah, absolutely. The main thing I was going to say was around the the source, right? Thinking about and recognizing who you are sourcing information about yourself from. I think I would add to that. You don't have to be this constant self-improvement project. You don't always have to be working on yourself and you don't always have to be getting better. And I see things and I understand what the intent is like, you know, 1% better every day. It's just like some, can I just be where I am today or for a week or two? Like, and that's the distress tolerance piece. Right. But I think we are like walking self-help sections of Barnes and Nobles where it's like everything I should be doing to get better. I need more money. I need more clarity. I need better friends. I need higher following on social media. I just, it's, and I get wrapped up in it too. So I, I understand it right from my own experience, but that can be really exhausting. You will more than likely find yourself reactively searching for all the things to get better. So looking online, buying courses, buying programs, getting coaches, like doing all this stuff that really can take away from you actually just feeling connected with who you are and kind of where you are now. I'm mean, allowing that to be good enough. So just being mindful of how much time, energy, effort, money you spend on wanting to be different than who and how you are. So just being mindful of how much time, energy, effort, money. And I think that can that can be a, a helpful kind of mindfulness exercise. And yeah, being being mindful of, of who you are following and how the information leaves you feeling. I, I want to say last year, or maybe the year before I unfollowed, I probably unfollowed like 1500 therapists. I couldn't do it anymore. It was too much. I'm following Dr. Therapy. A, are you following me? Hold on. <laughs> Listen, go we got to go check. I'm following Wait this. a minute now because I don't be on. I'm not on there like that. Let me go. Okay. Let me. Listen, as soon I as we're done. Still, you, you, I am still following to go check. you. But I had to. I had to stop following therapists. It was too much for me. And I was trying. I was initially doing it to kind of support. But then I found myself doing it to kind of get ideas for social media that they're posting about this. So I should post about this. And oh, my goodness, they're talking about this. I never... I never learned about it that way. Maybe I should, I had to stop. It was too much. It was too, too much for me. So also recognizing and, and and leaning into, right, your own awareness of what gets activated for you when you see this kind of content. But if it's taking you further and further away from yourself, you can change up your theme, 
I love therapists, but I was doing way too much, doing way mm-hmm. too much. So I need to follow, you know, puppy pages, not therapists. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good old meme pages. Those yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I love you, Dr. A. It's like that we get to, like, it's okay for us just to be and that we will constantly be in a state of becoming and that is okay. Yes. You know, we don't have to always, you know, be, you know, yeah, yeah. Just be, mm-hmm. just be, and that's okay. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, thank you again okay. both for such beautiful, beautiful thoughts. Remind us where we can find you all on social media <laughs> as well as your websites. <laughs> on or on, not so much on social media. Don't don't be trying to come for me, Doctor Joy, because I'm not on there like that as often. You heard that low blow. Listen, this ain't the group chat now. Watch out. <laughs> Um, I am Ask Dr. Joy, A-S-K-D-R-J-O-Y on Instagram. So that's where I am. Not daily, not often. (laughs) But sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And where I am daily and probably too often for my own (laughs) benefit, I am on Instagram at Dr. underscore Ayana underscore A. So that's at D-R underscore A-Y-A-N-N-A underscore A. Perfect. And we will include all of that in the show notes. Thank you both. I'm so glad Dr. Abrams and Dr. Beckwith were able to join me again this week. To learn more about them and their work and to check out the other conversations we've had here on the podcast, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 271. And make sure to text two of your girls right now and tell them to check out the episode. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Dennison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Bomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girl Bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses 
thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.